Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, January 29th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off. Copy it as often as you'd like and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. Well, people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and then press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that, turn on the microphone, and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And if you will let us know how we can be of service, what it is that is most effective for you or of greater assistance to you when we are reading the way of mastery or we are doing worksheet processes or we are talking about the various tools, the mind shifter tool that I call targeted journaling, Or the host of other tools, including the Mind Goal Management Sheet, the Codependence Interdependence Worksheet, the Breath Work, the EFT Tapping. So, if you let us know what's most useful to you, we will endeavor to do that more often. And be of as much assistance as possible in helping people get maximum benefit from the use of these tools. We've been working with the way of mastery. I had somebody the other day ask me, why would you read the way of mastery, third lesson, and then turn around and start reading it again right away? What? Why would you do that? And um, it literally just prompted me to chuckle. I'm not sure that I said anything intelligible in response to that other than laughing. So, um, since then, I've tried to think about, okay, so why, why is that? What is it? about this work that has me reading and rereading it so many times. And um, I'm not sure there's a real solid intellectually based answer, but there's an emotional truth to it for me that this work is, I used to say, it's singing to my soul. And from an intellectual perspective, as we talk about so often, I hear different things. I'm motivated to use the different exercises in different ways um, based on, you know, one reading of the a, a particular lesson. And the next time I read that lesson, I probably tune into something else and I might have a, a stronger motivation to use the exercise than I did the last time I was reading and exposed to that same suggestion, suggestion of 
an exercise to awaken to my true nature as a creator of my life experience. Awaken to the idea of how I don't experience anything that I haven't called to myself in one way or another, and that once I'm wide awake to that process, now there's something I can engage in a proactive, conscious, constructive way. Dr. David Gruder is a, a psych. I think he's a psychologist, but anyway, he's he's a gentleman I interviewed a, a few years ago, and um, now he's begun. I listened over the, the weekend to an interview he did with somebody. Now he's begun a new initiative to try and help people, all of us as human beings, balance our lives better. Mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, the whole package. And he's one of those brilliant people. He's basically my age, but at about 11 years old, he had this full-blown realization that he was going to be somebody who made a difference in the world at a big level. And... Um, <clears throat> So he's been studying things like what did the founding fathers mean when they created some of these principles that our country is based on. And the one he was talking about specifically is that this pursuit of happiness business. And he talks about how what the founding fathers intended bears almost no resemblance to what we we are told these days and the American dream. And he talks about tracing back where that got corrupted. And after World War II, um, our, our, our presidents decided, you know, we want to find a way to keep this, you know, the Second World War was the way out of the Great Depression because it gave everybody jobs to do. And so it souped up or spiced up the economy. And so our president was trying to figure out, so how do we prevent ourselves from becoming another Nazi Germany, and how do we prevent our economy from being driven specifically by war? And in the process of all of that, they had this economist that, stayed alive until the 1990s that was advising presidents. And the solution that they came up with was we get people to chase after products and be consumers. And so the, the original thought about what it means to have the right to pursue happiness got hijacked into this American dream of having all of these material possessions. So it's fascinating. And he's, you can look him up, Dr. David Gruder, G-R-U-D-E-R. And he's starting a new initiative to try and help people wake up. 
and restore balance in their lives because we are woefully out of balance, as he would describe. So, the way of mastery, lesson nine, titled, All Events Are Neutral, in a way, it's the same kind of thing. We left off on Friday reading about how things don't exist for you until they're in your lived experience of them. So it says, when you hear talk about enlightenment, or you hear talk about union with your creator, when you hear talk about unconditional love, the invitation here is stop nodding your head and thinking you know what those things are and turn your attention inside yourself and get really clear about whether or not you're abiding in a lived experience of those things. And what you'll find is the answer is no. You might get a little glimpse of it here and there, but you don't live in... either enlightenment or unconditional love or conscious connection with your creator, moment to moment, breath to breath. And once you wake up to that realization, then the invitation is to understand that you have chosen to value something more than any of those things. And in the talk from Dr. Gruder, we've been taught to value possessions and social status and status in a job and a certain level of income and and when that's what you value, that's where your energies will go. And it, it's not that there's anything wrong with having a comfortable house and a comfortable car and nice clothes and good food. There's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, if that is your 90 or 95% of the focus of your conscious thought during the day, there's no balance in your life. And there's no way for you to move into valuing the experience of unconditional love or enlightenment or connection with your creator or truly deep, healthy, connected relationship with another human being, etc. So, one way of looking at this section in, Le- in Lesson 9 is the idea of really clarifying what we value so that we can restore some balance in our lives. The text goes on and, and reads... We would perceive that there are many in your world that like to walk around as if they're in a state of peace and they walk around with smiles on their faces. Perhaps they carry the Holy Bible in their hand or some other such text. They wear some religious icon upon their body so as to create the appearance of someone who is at peace. Yet inwardly, they are not at peace. And when they turn on their television and they watch how the logger has just felled yet another tree, inwardly they respond by calling that logger 
ignorant or stupid or limited. In that moment, they've spoken to the universe the truth that they are choosing to live as someone who does not want to know peace, who is not interested in forgiveness, who is not interested in wisdom, not interested in judgment. I'm, I misspoke there. Is interested in judgment and the high that they feel in their body through the act of judging another being as being less than themselves. In short, this lesson calls us to give up the pretense. It says it's time to begin viewing yourself from the perspective of an absolute ceaseless creator. Begin looking at exactly what you are creating in each moment of your experience. Bring the quality of childlike innocence to what you actually experience, not what you tell everybody else you're experiencing. It is time to become honest with the effects of the ripples and the rocks or the pebbles that you have dropped into the field of your awareness as a great form of play. For a creator who understands her infinite power to create and who understands that it is going on ceaselessly, that effects are being generated moment to moment to moment to moment that will indeed be making up their tomorrows, that person gladly gives up the energy of denial and turns to look upon every moment of their experience that they might discern what choice they must have made to bring about the effects that they're currently experiencing. When a bill comes and your body shakes and you go into contraction and worry because there are not enough golden coins in the checkbook to pay for it, the creator stops and looks upon all that is being experienced in the field of the body, in the emotional body, and at the thoughts being held in the mind. Then they begin to notice how they are viewing the objects around themselves, the world around them, in order to begin to wonder, quote, what thought must I have dropped into the pool of my mind to create the effect of lacking golden coins? And is that a thought I wish to drop into my mind so I can create similar effects in my tomorrows? Or would I like to choose again? Here is the doorway to wisdom. Do not create unconsciously and then just walk away. Learn ceaselessly from your creation. For this is the way you begin the process of dissolving the creation of an unenlightened being and you begin to build the creation of a Christ here and now in this moment. Taking full conscious awareness and responsibility, the ability to respond differently in the next moment. The next title, a section is titled, The Power of Your Thoughts. And the text reads, Never ever believe that your thoughts are neutral. 
I said earlier that events are neutral, but your thoughts are not. For your thoughts literally are imbued with the power of creation. They do not create neutrally. That is, every thought reverberates a quality of vibration that spreads out from you. It touches the shores of manifested reality and comes back to you. That is what you experience as both the positive and negative events of your life. Now, it is very true. Please listen very carefully to this. It is true that at any moment as you go along in your experience, as you experience the reverberation, the coming back of the ripples you've sent out, in that very moment, you are not a victim of what you created. Because in each such moment, you remain as perfectly free as you were when you first dropped the pebble into the pond that created the ripple in the first place. You're free to choose how you will experience the effects of that ripple. And if you experience it with unconditional freedom, unconditional acceptance, and love, forgiveness, neutrality, and innocence, you literally diffuse the effects of that ripple upon the pool of your consciousness. And then, in that moment, you become instantly free to begin creating, in a new way, the ripples that you will experience in the future. And that is why you are never a victim of anyone's creation, especially your own. It is not that life is so complex that you have created all these momentums and now you're stuck with them. In any moment that you, quote, get it, close quotes, you can stop reacting as if you were a victim. And you can look merely at the ripples that are coming back to you that you have sent out away from yourself. And you can say this following set of statements. Quote, this has come into my field of experience as an awesome mystery. This means that I am an awesomely powerful being. Therefore, I will look lovingly upon this ripple. Yes, I know it needs to play itself out. And as it does so, I'm going to be wise enough to see the transparency of it, to see the lack of effect that it really has. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't add anything of value to my life. It doesn't take anything of value from my life. It merely is an experience called life passing through the field of my awareness. If I look lovingly upon it, if I embrace it, I can transmute it and therefore already be engaged in the process of creating a whole different kind of vibrational ripple that will create my tomorrows. Close quotes. 
That means that while the power of your thoughts is not neutral, the events called the effects of those thoughts can either be neutral or not neutral depending upon how you use the very primary power of your awareness. We are seeking to share with you how infinitely free you are. There are many in your world that would teach this illusory doctrine called karma. And they would teach that what you send out, now you must experience. And sooner or later, whatever you experience is directly related to the quality of the the ripple that you sent out. This text would have you understand that is not true. That would make you a victim. If you are made in the image of the Creator, and I assure you that you are, you are not a victim of the world you see. You cannot, in reality, be victimized by anyone or anything at any time because your reality is that you are made in the image of the Creator. If you could truly be victimized, it would mean that the Creator creates unlike herself. Does a salmon come from an oak tree? Does a nebula come out of the womb of a woman? Does a raspberry grow on a grocery store shelf? No. Like begets like. Therefore, why would you ever believe that the Creator, who is but love and unlimited creativity and power, why would you ever believe that the Creator could ever beget something that is small and little and powerless? It does not happen. The Creator cannot be victimized. Therefore, the Creator's creation remains victimless. All events remain neutral. And all that the environmentalists and the logger are doing is using the power of consciousness to momentarily create the belief that they are this and not that they place a value of their own choosing upon an event of energy that they call a tree. And by what they value and place upon it, they call the quality of experience that they will have into their field of awareness. And that is all that's happening. The energy that makes up the tree is eternal forever. It may change form, But life remains. Therefore, lament not the passing away of a species, but trust the grand intelligence that gave rise to it in the first place. For that intelligence is still busy creating even greater universes. This is why loss does not exist. How does all of this relate to your daily experience? As we move into the lessons that follow, it's going to become very crucial that you have a foundation upon which to build.
here comes a suggestion about a foundation. Five minutes a day, titled The Foundation of Mastery. If you are ready to completely assume responsibility for having been created in the image of the Creator and that therefore you are an eternal Creator, begin now to utilize some time each day without letting a day go by and use that time in which you sit with yourself. Not with your mate, not with your parents, not with the television, not with your smartphone, not with your favorite sports team, not with your favorite actor or actress, not with your favorite religion, not with your favorite God or master or savior, not even me as Yeshua. Sit with you. Start by acknowledging that you are one with all of creation. Understand that the very body that seems to have a heart within it beating capital L life for you is the effect of decisions and choices you have made. That the very chair you are sitting on is the result of your attracting a web of relationships that is quite unique into your field of awareness called the physical universe. In this moment, you are having an experience you have never had before. You're sitting in a chair now. The event is completely neutral. And nothing that you are experiencing in your consciousness exists or is sourced by anything outside of yourself. So give yourself five minutes to practice choosing how you will experience sitting in a chair. Will you do so with a mind full of worry or a mind full of peace? Will you do so with a mind thinking of all the things it could be doing or a mind marveling at how the weight of the body feels as it's pressed against the seat of the chair. What about a mind that creates tension in the way the breath flows through the body or a mind that creates ease and comfort? Five minutes of practicing sitting in a chair as an infinite creator of exactly what you are experiencing. And you're experiencing this in your emotional field. And that's all. That's all you do, just that. You might even want to play with what it would feel like to sit in your chair as a Christ. What would that feel like? I will let you choose whether or not you would like to experience it. Five minutes each day. Do it without fail. Be with yourself and decide how you will experience yourself now.
For you see, the you that sits down in the chair with whatever is going on in your consciousness, whatever feelings you're having throughout the body, whatever is going on in your primary relationships, how the food is being digested in the body, all of it, the whole realm of your experience, all of it is the effect of how you have been a million times when you sat down to be with yourself in a thousand different chairs. Utilize the very process of sitting down in a chair as a symbol of preparing the mind for the dropping of a pebble into it, out of which will reverberate the vibrations or ripples that will come back to you. It is much easier to send out ripples and experience them when they come back in a blissful way, a way that brings you peace, joy, fun, laughter, play, and unlimitedness. That's easier than having to constantly butt your head against something that you would rather transmute or run away from. And it begins with five minutes. In those five minutes, you acknowledge that you can create whatever experience you want. As a feeling that floods through your awareness, as a quality of thought that you allow to keep repeating in the mind. You can sit in a chair as an awakened Christ now. Here's a suggested series of statements. Quote, I and my Father are one. It is a beautiful day. I have manifested a form sitting in a chair in a corner of one little tiny dimension of creation. How amazing this moment is. I think I'll just sit here and feel the heart beating in the body and the breath moving through it. Ah, there's the sound of a bird. I'm glad I called that to myself. What beautiful thoughts can I think right now? Who could I send love to right now without even lifting a finger? I am unlimited forever. I am free. I am free. I am free. Close quotes. Do you think you would like to have that experience for five minutes? If so, why not begin today? So many of you upon your physical plane keep searching for some form of magic that will bring you to the kingdom of heaven. You cannot bring it to you. You can only become aware of how you are using it to create the ripples that you send out from yourself. Do you know the saying in your world, wherever you go, there you are. You are the creator's creation. You are in heaven now. Heaven is not a place. It is a state of unlimited and infinite creative power because it is the reflection of the Creator's holy mind. 
why not be one who practices being the presence of heaven? If that seems too awesome or too far beyond you, then just play with it for five minutes a day. Trust me, I will love you no less if for the other 23 hours and 55 minutes you decide to play at pretending and feeling that you are little, unworthy, unloved, unloving, unlovable, that you are the scourge of the earth, and that life is constantly victimizing you. Go right ahead. I would never interfere with your free choice. Now, I may not come and knock at your door except for those five minutes, and yet you remain free to utilize time any way you wish. For just five minutes, experience yourself as Christ, crystallizing a body as a temporary teaching and learning and communication device. Sitting in a chair in a totally neutral corner of creation simply because you want to have the experience of sitting blissfully at peace in your perfect knowledge of your union with your creator in this moment. You might even find yourself daring to have thoughts such as these. Quote, well, since I'm an infinite creator, what would I like to create for my tomorrows? Close quotes. And if during that five minutes there's a knock upon your door and it's the bill collector, who cares? That is that soul's experience of thinking that they are a bill collector and that you are some bad person that they must corral. Let them have their experience. Sit calmly, hear the knocking on the door, and allow yourself to be entertained by the beautiful words you are creating for your tomorrow and the worlds you are creating for your tomorrows. Here is the straight and narrow path that leads unto life. Here is the eye of the needle through which you must pass. For it is not enough to just embrace the idea that, quote, I am the creator of all I experience, close quotes. You must then choose to actively put it into practice. It begins with the practice of five minutes a day. That is all. And when you feel that you can fulfill that for five minutes, then you may make it 10, and then 12, and then 15, and then 20. Now, you may respond, what, you mean for 20 minutes I hang out as though I'm Christ incarnate, totally in union with the Creator, totally free to begin creating ripples different than I've ever experienced before, knowing that they will come back to me and become my manifested experience, that I could do that with no doubt about it? But 20 minutes, even if I could achieve that, is such a small fraction of time of the day, what is that going to do? Beloved friends, if you had faith as a tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, you would know that from that tiny little faith, you will create the mighty oak tree whose branches will shelter you from the blistering sun and give comfort unto many. 
20 minutes is an eternity when it comes to creating your tomorrows. If you believe that the other 23 hours must be taken up by experiencing the effects of what you created a long time ago or the ripples that are coming back, so be it. Play with it. Let yourself transmute those moments. For example, quote, Okay, here I am answering the door. Yes, bill collector, come on in. Have a glass of water. You know, you're absolutely right. I didn't pay that bill. Do you want to know why? Silly me. I've actually decided to create the experience that I'm someone who can only create lack. That is why I have no money in my checkbook. It's just the darndest thing, isn't it? Oh, oh, very good. So you're going to turn my name over to the authorities. And now I'll have no credit with anyone on the planet. Well, go ahead if it makes your day. I have other things to do. I'm busy creating a new tomorrow. And I know that everything all around me is going to be taken from me anyway, since everything birthed in time ends in time. My house will be gone. My car will be gone. My clothes will be gone. My friends will be gone. Everything that I've experienced in time is changing anyway. So go ahead and take it from me now. It'll just speed up the process. Close quotes. The text goes on and says, I do not speak of this tongue-in-cheek. I speak from the perspective of one who is an awakened Christ. One who already knows how to birth universes and to create that which is holy, good, and beautiful. I know that this is the way. It is the only way. Release the value you have attached to your experiences, even the bill collector, and spend your time instead deciding which pebbles you're going to drop into the field of your mind. For you will create as a result of what you choose to think today. And what you value today will show itself to you tomorrow. I learned to value unlimitedness. I learned to value capital L, love. I learned to value fearlessness. Now, yes, my method for doing so was rather unique, and I would not recommend that you follow in my footsteps, unless, of course, you like the drama of being nailed to a cross and then stood up in front of all your friends in order to learn to transcend fear in your mind. I learned to value unbroken communication with every soul in every dimension of creation. I learned to value only my loving thoughts. And I birthed or grew a Christ out of the very seed of awareness that exists equally within each of you. Therefore, in this moment, look around where you are. Look at the objects that you see. Look at the people you see around you, if there are any. 
notice whatever sounds may be coming into your field of awareness. Notice whatever pictures or ideas you may hold of what you are or what the world is. These are all fleeting and temporary illusions. They will pass away. And they began passing away the moment they were created. Therefore, indeed, beloved friends, look at all that is around you and decide what value it holds for you. Will you see it as something that you must have in your existence? Or will you choose to see it as something you have playfully drawn to yourself? And you can appreciate it, and it can be gone tomorrow, and your peace will remain undisturbed. Which way will you choose to view the world? Five minutes, one for each finger and thumb on a hand, in which you choose to sit as a Christ in the midst of your kingdom and your creation. And you decide which thoughts you will hold on and therefore determine how you will see all that is in the field of your awareness and which thoughts you will allow to begin to generate the ripples that you will send out because they will, there's no way to escape it, return to you. Five minutes a day. One minute for each finger and thumb on your hand. The next section is titled, Planting the Seed that produces the desired result. And I'll preface this by saying that this particular story, about a fifth or sixth time I read it, really sank in for me to understand that they're asking us to think really specifically with high value about every thought we hold on to and we pour our mind energy into. The text reads, Once indeed there was a farmer who went out to plant the seed in his ground. But before he went out to plant the seed, he selected the seed very carefully. Now the other farmers rushed out because they thought, Oh, look, it's time for the planting to begin. Everything is perfect. The conditions are just right. We must make haste and plant. And those farmers farmers bought whatever seeds they could get and they went out and spread them across the ground and began their busy work of doing what they had to do. Rest assured, they would have their harvest. However, the wise farmer waited. And while he was laughed at by his colleagues, he carefully selected every seed. He waited until he could hold it in his hand and say, oh, I like the vibration of this seed. This feels very good. Yes, and I can just see the beautiful plant that's going to arise from this. The fruit of it will be the sweetest in the valley. 
and he went on and gathered his seeds. He paid no attention to the passing of the dates on a calendar. He paid no attention to the changing weather conditions. He knew that when the time was right, the seed would be planted, and from it would burst forth the flower of those seeds. He knew it. He gave no thought to the opinions of his colleagues. He enjoyed the process of loving the seeds that he was making his own. Then the farmer went out and cast the seed upon the soil of his farm, which is likened unto the soil of your own consciousness, your own awareness. He planted the seeds, he tamped them down, and he nurtured them, and he watered them, and he cultivated them with a smile upon his face. And yes, the neighbor's seeds seemed to be already sprouting up from the ground. He could not have cared any less, for he knew that these seeds would bring him an eternal harvest, that they would not just birth forth once from the soil and then throw out some mediocre fruit and then die for he had selected seeds that would constantly bring forth in each season the best of fruits. He loved them, he nurtured them, he cultivated them. Long after the other farmers had grown weary and tired and had experienced drought and seeds that brought forth fruit where insects would come and destroy them, those things that would not be purchased by the people in the marketplace. Long after that, this one farmer became the greatest of farmers in the entire valley. People would come from all over the world to bite, to take a little nibble out of the fruit that came from his garden. Yet, that farmer merely delighted in continually loving and nurturing these seeds and cultivating the soil in which they were planted daily. He never took his consciousness away from his perfect union with those seeds. He never once forgot that he was the one that created his farm as a direct result of his careful selection of which seeds he would plant in his soil. And while others marveled at his good fortune, and while others were jealous of his good luck, that farmer always knew that no magic was involved. He merely followed in the footsteps of the wisdom given to him by his creator. Quote, Take my fruit and plant it in your consciousness. Know that you are one with me and that fruit you experience is the result of the seeds you plant in your own consciousness. Know that you cannot help but experience the result, the fruit of the seeds you plant. Nothing bursts forth on the vine of your experience by accident. Therefore, create with me, my child. Create like unto myself by knowing, knowing that you are a creator a farmer, a planter, and you will indeed harvest the quality of the seeds you plant. 
Just as you, beloved child, are the harvest of the seed I once planted when I first held the thought of you in my holy mind. And in that moment you arose as a sunbeam from the sun, made in my image. I held you as the thought of love in form, and I bestowed you with all good things. Therefore, see yourself as I see you. Embrace yourself as I embrace you. Accept yourself as you are, a creator creating without ceasing. And just as I sat upon my throne, which means sitting in the center of all that is, and and I beheld you as a loving thought, so too choose only to allow loving thoughts to enter into your consciousness or to be valued in your consciousness. Choose to only allow loving thoughts to be expressed with your words. Choose to only allow loving thoughts to be translated into your gestures, your choices, and your actions. And thereby, create as I created you, that which extends joy forever. That which extends the good, the holy, and the beautiful forever. For that is what you are. That is how I thought of you when I created you. And that is what you remain eternally. Therefore, join with me. Join with me by extending your creation as I have extended you. Since you have manifested a physical body, accept my son's teaching and let that body be placed in a chair that you might think like the mind of Christ for five minutes. And you will beget an eternality that reflects the radiance of heaven, just as you reflect my radiance when I look upon the unlimited soul that you are. Close quotes. Indeed, in the entire valley, there was but one farmer that was wise. Will you elect to join the union comprised of all the hasty farmers? Or will you choose to take up residence as the one farmer who knows how to create wisely and in faith and rests upon perfect certainty and merely sits back to wait for the ripples of heaven to come and replace the ripples of hell that you once created unwittingly? Everyone is a minister. You cannot help but minister to the world in each moment. Therefore, begin your ministry of enlightened consciousness now. And I promise you this absolutely irrevocably. You will experience all that I have known and more you will experience victory over death. You will experience complete unlimitedness and abundance. You will experience perfect peace, perfect miracle-mindedness, and perfect unbroken communication 
in bliss with all of creation. Once, when I was a man, I was taught to sit at the base of a tree for five minutes a day and to imagine myself to be the creator of all that I could think, all that I could see, and all that I could feel. Five minutes taken out of the hours of play of a child. You are a child at play in your own kingdom. Will you give yourself five minutes to learn to be a Christ that creates in unlimited perfection, in alignment with the mind of the Creator, whose experience is always blissfully, radiantly blissful and full of it, lim- free from limitation and fear? For those that you are too busy trying to take care of dealing with all the things that life throws at you, even you know that you can find five minutes. And those five minutes can be the beginning of birthing a whole new universe for yourself. And with that, peace be unto you, always, by making the decision to choose to receive peace as a Christ. Herein lies the secret of much of what will be shared in our upcoming lessons. For what I specifically seek to do in the way of mastery, and this specific work you know as, and you call this Shanti Cristo, I seek the birthing of a multitude of Christs that dwell upon your earth at the same time. It has never been done before. Imagine a world with 10 million awakened children of the Creator, fully awake, not just as a belief or an idea, but people who have mastered fear, who no longer live in doubt whatsoever, and who are busy creating universes that mirror perfectly the kingdom of heaven. Imagine it if you dare. It begins now. Practice well for the next 30 days. If not, you will find yourself having to go back and start anyway before you can receive the next phase of what will be shared. So the choice is yours. Practice now before moving forward or go forward and realize you're not getting anything and then you have to come back and practice. It's okay either way. You are the creator. You get to choose. Peace then be unto you always. Amen. And that wraps up Lesson 9. Thank you all here for being here and listening. I remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Thank you. Well, that was weird. What was weird? Um, I heard a man's voice say, thank you, Dr. Tim, after I did. You did? <laughs> that was... It was me. Oh, I did. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> oh. Okay. You're not usually 
on immediately. <laughs> well, I'm on so, the road, I'm, so it's a little different right. situation than home with the list. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Monday, January the 29th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. So welcome, Michael. I'm going to uh, turn on Podbeam here. I was not ready for you to to be on immediately. (laughs) Okay, so we're rock and roll on both. So you were wondering whose voice that was? Yeah, it doesn't sound like you. You hadn't seen that I was on? No, your number hadn't popped on yet. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Ah, Anyway, welcome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Honored and delighted that you're here. Uh, Jeannie probably would have been announcing that I'm on the road, and that's why uh, we're in a little different format today than, than usual. And this week, it was actually really quite interesting that uh, I went to study with a medical doctor uh, who originated a work called medical massage. Not that I'm working with people or doing hands-on work these days very much, but uh, the uh, over the years, I started doing massage therapy about mm. probably close to 50 years ago. In fact, you heard my original massage therapist, Dr. Patrick McGann, dear friend, and he's the first one who put his uh, fingers into uh, this pair of shoulders that were like boards back then. And uh, actually, he invented a whole different form of therapy using his feet because his hands couldn't take digging into the hard, rock-hard muscles that were my shoulders and back, which now are nice and soft and supple, having cleared out some of that old trauma. So I, I went mainly with with the work I've done over the years, realizing that the body is the storage system for the mind, and in particular the storage system for trauma and stress. Having worked in with massage therapists in four different continents over the last 50 years, and uh, I've been in Bristol and been doing exchange work actually with the massage therapist here and I have not seen a massage therapist yet that has been able to do the work that she has done and uh, her teacher who originated this modality called medical massage is a uh, a Russian uh, medical doctor and uh, has been doing the work he's been doing for about as long as I have in the in the mind realm so it was interesting, and whenever I get the chance to enter into the energy field of a master, I like to go and do that. So that's what I did. Really quite uh, quite an interesting uh, week or weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it, it kind of gave me a, a different perspective on all of the work that I do. What's interesting, this man is extremely science-based, 
physical. He talked about the body. He talked about the nervous system. He talked about the brain. Did not use the word mind once through the process. Uh, and so it was, it was interesting to just be with that perspective and be impacted by what he had to share. And what really opened up for me, it, it, Friday was a, a whole day of lecture theory, and then Saturday and Sunday were hands-on work. And you know how I've, I'm often talking about being the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. Well, for me, there was an experience in there in the first day of being able to step back, not just from observing what was going on in the room and the material being presented, which was just superb, superb material, but to step back and observe my own mind in this process and realizing what the experience was for me. And it's kind of part of the experience of working with the Aramaic, what the Aramaic has brought to me over the last five decades or four, four plus decades, was stepping back and experiencing the fact that this whole energetic creation has been handed to us and this magnificent device called a body-mind unit, and he just brought that out. So, I mean, that's like his focus and has been for decades was physiology in the body, and what's happening with trauma and how to clear trauma out of the body. But it was just interesting to, to hit this point of realizing that this whole thing we call creation, including this multi-generational database called the body-mind unit, is really here for us to bring our original will into expression in the world. You've heard me talk a couple of times about the creation story. Creation story tells us in the Old Testament that the Creator created this so-called physical world, created the human being, and then said, go forth and multiply and replenish the face of the earth. And most everybody, you know, uh, obeyed the multiply command and and sadly condemned themselves for it, which is pretty crazy. Another whole layer of trauma. But there hasn't been an understanding of this word replenish as it comes to us in the Aramaic. And the best understanding I can garner of it from the years I've been working with it is that what, what we were being told was to bring the creation to completion. And most everybody wants to figure that out. You know, we've talked about the, the number one pseudo-solution of the non-being mind is if I could just figure this out. And you can't figure it out because the mind isn't capable of that. It's not what the mind is there for. It was interesting this whole weekend the word mind wasn't used once on that just rather uh, interesting that it's the, the whole material perspective. But the realization that came for me as a kind of a culmination of this was that um, what you're looking to understand, what you're looking for, cannot be known because it's 
mind of man, this this function of physiology that we call a storage system that functions as what we call a mind, and it really isn't a mind. It's just a storage device running its its content. It can't know that. It can only be experienced. And it can't be experienced through that mind. It can only be experienced by opening up to the being that we are as human beings because what we're looking for is what is looking. And if you're looking through the eyes man's mind, then you're looking through a self that isn't and everything gets interpreted through the self that is nothing but a memory bank, nothing but a replay of generations and generations. And where we're designed to be replenishing, bringing the earth to completion, bringing that higher perspective through energetically into this world and using this device called a body-mind unit to translate it into creation. That if you're looking through that mind and that false self, you know, Yeshua talked about in order for you to live, you've got to die. That self has got to go. Even if you've reached the pinnacle in, in what men would call accomplishment, you know, he goes to the Yeshua and he says, that's the very lowest when it comes to the next level, to the realm of being. So this work that Yeshua developed 2,000 years ago, and it's, it's a question, it's a pursuit that's been going on for since the beginning of creation. It's about looking through the eyes of the self that is and those eyes aren't physical eyes. What we call physical eyes are nothing but replicates of the mind painted on the inside of our eyeballs. You know, it's interesting that animals in the wild are preyed upon. As, you know, many people become the prey of predators in the human realm. What we would call for a human being sympathetic dominance in that fear, flight, fright, freeze, fawning mode. The animal goes through that over and over and over again. But they don't originate thought disorders. They don't live out of the thought disorders of their generations. And what Yeshua understood in the Aramaic, at least my take, and what he gave was a set of tools to free ourselves from the thought disorders that kept keep us stuck in the mind of man, as humans do. The animal doesn't do that. They don't live in that trauma world, that, and, and they don't get all the symptoms of, of that sympathetic dominance that humans do, even though they're, they may be repeatedly attacked. We were given, as human beings, if we can ever break loose from what this mind is, which, again, the mind can be brilliant. It can do awesome things in the world, but it can't originate. And, and we as human beings are designed to originate, not replicate, not play out what the other generations have put into this device called a body-mind unit and put into our family systems, into our world. And what Yeshua's teachings are always doing, where the Greek translations are always pointing us toward something already expressed in the creation and how you've got to follow rules and this and this and this and this, but Yeshua was always pointing for, toward rather than to the realities output from this carbon-based memory system called the body-mind unit, finite system, was 
to the actuality of the creation and our role in it and our ability to originate and bring the creation to the next level. And if we fall into the thought disorders of the mind that's been through trauma and not known how to resolve it, the animal doesn't have the thinking capacity, at least as far as we can tell, to originate mind energy that says, oh, I've been traumatized today, I'll get traumatized tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and then cooperate in creating it. And there's where Yeshua comes in with the Aramaic forgiveness process where he shows how precisely to collapse the projections, collapse the repeating patterns of the mind. Why is this happening to me again experience? And recognize that the whole energetic creation is here to delete what the generational patterns are that have been passed into us in this body-mind unit. Forgive, that's what the word forgive means. And then how to originate into the creation through this vehicle, the will that was given us, the true purpose that was given us, to bring that into full expression. And if we do that from our original being, then then we live as original beings. Otherwise, an unauthentic replicate life is all we get to have. So if we if we never rise to that level, if we never free ourselves from the loud noise of the trauma-based mind, then the tendency is just to play out the patterns of the power person that are stored in this multi-generational database called the body-mind unit. And if we never go beyond that, if we, if we never do anything but replicate that, then we're not alive. We're just, it's no different than a computer. It's just a replicating computer. Oh, it can be fun. It can be pleasurable. It can be sad. It can be painful. But it's nothing but the replication of the past. So we were given this awesome ability to originate And rather than falling into the past, bring in something new. And that this whole energetic creation is there to serve you as a vehicle to bring your will, your original purpose into expression. Otherwise, the stored multi-generational database just plays out once again on automatic recycle. So it's about stepping into being alive. If we experience people through our wounds, through our memories, then the tendency is going to be to just repeat the unresolved traumas, experience people through those traumas. And so, oh, that's like that. That's like that one thing. See, mind of man is expert at spotting patterns. Forgiveness is about breaking those patterns and to stop lashing out from the unresolved generational patterns and change that game so humanity gets to step into what our human lives is re- are really about. And so our work with the Kabor's manuscript, wherein I'm not sure what the seventh or eighth session genius put a special page on the website where she has turned these into... Uh, files that are playable on YouTube. They are 
strictly speaking, video files, but they're actually audio tracks with a picture in the background. And she's got a page on the website. If you go to whyagain.org forward slash enlightenment study, I believe it is, Jenny, then you'll find those links. And if you've missed any of the shows, you can go back right from the first one. We're only in, I don't know, number six, seven, whatever it is. And so this published so far from the Kaboris Codex. And what the imprimatur in the Codex tells us is that, and, and the imprimatur would be somewhat like a notary signature would be today, verifying. And what the uh, imprimatur tells us is that it was a 10th century copy of a 164 A.D. Aramaic text. And what we're going to be looking at is, maybe we're going to cover the introduction, how the manuscript was found, some of that, some of the stories around that. And then we're going to look at some select passages from the New Testament, which are published in the book, and where those things are published or printed the key words in Aramaic are left in brackets. And you can then go into the third section of the book, which is a first century dictionary. 25 of the world's top Aramises did this work back in the 70s. And the one of the primary things they worked to do was to establish the first century meanings of the words of Yeshua. And my offering is that virtually every key word out of the Aramaic, and we've talked about this many times over the years, but every key word, really, truly key concept, has been exactly reversed. You know, Vladimir Lenin was a man who's probably responsible for more deaths in human history than any human being that ever lived. And he insightfully wrote, that if you change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy that culture. All of the key words of the man Yeshua were turned backward. For instance, forgiveness now becomes, I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, rather than I'm going to go inside myself, own what's happening inside of me, and move through it. The word love has become something to do with sexual athletics or self-sacrifice. It's amazing how many people are about this suffering game, misinterpretation. Sacrifice comes from the root to make sacred, not to suffer. Yeshua did not come to show us the power of suffering. He demonstrated the power of living a human life, living as the presence of love. You remember when he's confronted with the high priest servant, who's in, our, in the context of our language would be the, the arch enemy, Virtually every heroic person of the human realm would say, ah, here's the arch enemy. All I need to do is kill this one, and then everything will be okay. And what Yeshua does is stops the man who's trying to kill him, and then he functions as a human being. He heals him. And I would people who hear that and say, well, but Michael, did you notice that got him dead? Like I noticed that got him dead. Did you notice he couldn't keep, they couldn't keep him that way? And the reason that they couldn't keep him that way is because he lived an original life. He lived an original being. He knew who he was. 
and as a human being, love, the only possible expression is that of love, that of compassion, that of extending love to even, in that case, the arch enemy. And that's what allowed him to walk through death. And it's interesting in the Aramaic. You know, they talk about resurrection uh, in the Greek as though it was over and then he came back to life. But in Aramaic, the, the passage more talks about this man, Yeshua, went through death. Not he got lost in it, but he went through it and came out the other side. And so we're looking to garner an understanding of how this text can guide us in that direction by building the brain cells for a, a mind that can, though the mind of man, the mind of the body, carbon-based memory, can never give the actual experience of what's happening in the actuality in any given moment. When corrected, it can bring us accurate data and accurate information about what's happening in the moment. And that becomes a platform for awakening the higher faculties and stepping into the actual experience of life. So back in the uh, 60s... You have a hand up. Well, let's say a quick hello to our hand then. Or All a right. long hello, Susan, whatever it requires. Area code 610. Hey. Hi, Michael. Welcome, Welcome on the road. Hi, um, I have two questions, but you just the second one just popped up when you said Jesus went through death. In the mythology of Christianity, and I don't know the origin of this, he harrows hell. Is that the same idea, he goes through death? Or is that something completely different? My take would be that being awake as a being, as the created essence that he is, not as a body-mind unit, he mm -hmm. was able to stay conscious in what would knock the average person unconscious, and they'd get lost in whatever that expression was, and in that case, suffering and death. You know, how many generations behind all of us is there this belief that death is, it's over, it's done, it's finished, the mm -hmm. end, pain, trauma, loss, you know, isolation, you know, on and on and on goes it all. But rather that instead of being lost in the trauma most people are lost in around death, because, like, my, my take is if someone's dying, whether it's oneself or a loved one, the trauma experience has nothing mm. to do with the person who's dying. The trauma experience is, what one, what one holds in their own carbon-based memory that's unresolved mm -hmm. about death, and two, yeah. what's unresolved with this individual. That's where the suffering comes from. Yeah. And so if one has completed that, then they can be in the presence of death and walk through it rather than get sucked into the trauma-based mind and the trauma-based mm -hmm. generational pattern. Does that make sense to your question or fit? That makes sense. It doesn't answer the question, but the question's not really important. It's just popped into my mind. There's certain artwork and there is, I don't think it's in scripture, but the lore of Christianity says that Jesus spent some time in hell and 
and redeemed all the dwellers of hell during that time between his bodily death and his resurrection. He went, he, I think it's part of one of the creeds. He descended into hell and he rose again. Um, anyway, it's, it's not important. It's just one of those things that we get attached to our religion. But you're saying something a little different. It might be the same, but it doesn't matter. That just popped to mind. I was curious about it. Right. Well, my take would be that the work, that descent into hell, that's mm-hmm. what he asked for support from his disciples for when he went to the Garden oh. of Gethsemane. He oh, went into boy. the Garden of okay. Gethsemane and went through the, the final re- resolution of what was held in his carbon-based memory. And, you know, as a, as a naturopath, and we've talked lots about healing crisis and what healing looks like, yeah. and the physical, mm-hmm. mental, emotional symptoms of healing are identical to the physical, mental, emotional symptoms of disease. The energy going into the body, yeah. when it's being processed mm-hmm. out, it's going to look processed out, it's going to look the same. So he gets the, the intuitive hit that it's time for him to go through his final exam. And mm-hmm. he's not too sure about it. He goes into the garden. First of all, he asks for support from three of his, uh, his disciples, takes them right. with him. They sit outside, he goes in, and he's like, Father, can this cup pass for me? I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And obviously, he's told he's ready for it, go for it, and what happens? You know, we're told that he literally sweat blood. And and my take is, if one were going to go into and clean up so that their literal physiological energy field could be eternal, go back to removing everything based in trauma, fear, rage, hatred, vengeance, war, removing all of that, the the healing process, the healing crisis would look like sweating blood. And we're told that's what he did. And and we're told in that same story, you know, he took on the sins of the world and and that's used as a way to beat people up. See, you did it. You drove the nails. I remember, um, let me me think for a second about his name. There's an artist who sang a song, Take My Mother Home famous black man, uh, just awesome voice. And I'm not remembering his name offhand, but I can remember as a kid being involved in churchianity, listening to this piece of music, Take My Mother Home. And he's singing about, you know, I think I heard him say, you know, like, don't let my mother observe what I'm about to go through. Take her home. I mean, I can remember, and and they, they did it with, sound effects and you could hear the whoosh of the hammer bang banging in the wow i can remember as a kid the trauma of that and and taking that on it's something i've worked on resolving and as i'm speaking about it now another layer of it's coming up for me in terms of grief Mm -hmm. and what we have pounded into us but 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 he wasn't it wasn't taking on the sins of the world as he's going to take on and suffer for everybody. It was the, the privilege and the honor and the blessing of saying, oh, I've arrived at a space where I can be the presence of love to embrace all of this and bring it to healing uh-huh. for humanity. Anybody willing to come along? I mean, if you want to keep, you've got free will. If you want to keep your trauma, it's okay. But I'm here to support it being lifted and, and transmuted. So it mm-hmm. wasn't taking on this suffering it was 
taking on the energetic patterns that needed to be healed and being so powerfully connected with love and having handled so much or having handled his own generational and cultural trauma that he could be that space. So it was privilege, not suffering. Oh, my God. If everybody on. knew that, that they, he didn't die because they were such awful people, what a healing exactly. that would be. Yes. Oh, and and unfortunately, the mind of man has taken that and turned it into another way to beat humans up, another way for everybody who hasn't resolved yeah. their own power person dynamic to pass it on to the next generation mm-hmm. rather than, here's the goal, arrive at the place where you have so cleansed your own carbon-based memory, your own mind mm-hmm. of man or woman of trauma that you could be the space of love for any trauma that shows up and, and, and hold the space for healing, to, to be the hem of the garment that brings healing to anybody and everybody, whatever level of society they're on. So he was, That's my take gorgeous. is in the garden, it was privilege, not burden, mm-hmm. privilege. And that's when he stepped out. He said, okay, I'm ready for my demonstration. And he yeah. confronts Peter, and he tells Peter, if you're stuck in your carbon-based memory, you're in Satan. You know, get thee behind mm-hmm. me, Satan, for you think in the mind of man. And I'm living in the game of God. I'm living in the, in the active presence of love. I'm in my human life. <coughs> I'm not in yeah. my mind that's got all this fear and trauma and turmoil unresolved and screams and pain and trauma and hate and fear and it's just like, mm-hmm. and so when the high priest servant is standing there injured, he does what a human being would do. He offers healing. Mm-hmm. Even though he yeah. knows the man's going to shred his body to pieces, he's proven mm-hmm. he can do it if he knows that's coming, but he's standing as the presence of love for the arch enemy. And that mm-hmm. to me is like the symbol of one having arrived. Now, and then he gets not having arrived fully myself and having challenges, it can still bring my hostility or fear up. I recognize there's more work to be done, and, of course, we mm-hmm. teach best that which we most need to learn. So we go layer by layer, strength to strength, and keep moving through those layers, understanding the principles, move on to the next level. And to me, that's what the Aramaic is always pointing us toward, the Greek are always turning it around, changing the meaning of the words back to words. Oh, look at what you did. You dr- I can remember being told this as a kid. Your sins drove in the nails. Yeah, I know. It's like I know. to an innocent mm-hmm. little kid. Yeah. And then, and then you know, we, we tell people or the, the, the world tells people and churchianity tells people and you've got to realize that you were conceived in sin. The very act mm-hmm. of a sperm and an egg uniting in the delightful gift of sexuality that God gave to men and women, you were already a sinner. I mean, it's just insane mm-hmm. when you hear yes, or you hear the creator in the scriptures talking about, Who's, who told you you were naked? Like, who even gave you any of that crap? There's nothing of that in the, in the mm-hmm. actuality. But the unresolved traumas of men, oh, that's just terrible stuff, you know. Sex is dirty, mm. save it for the one you love. That's what I wrote in my book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. 
Well, then it, he gets on the cross and demonstrates the true meaning of forgiveness by seeing the innocence of all those guilty people. <laughs> being, yeah. being the space. Seeing not yeah. through the mind of man, but being mm. attuned to the higher energetic actuality rather than the individual realities based in unresolved trauma. Mm. I've got another question. It sort of zeroes in it. on one thing. When I was training as, as to be a psychotherapist myself years ago, we were doing transactional analysis. That's what they called it. Right. Um, and one of the things they called various aberrations, maladjustments in the human psyche by various names. And one of them was, they called them drivers. And if you wanted to really be pleasing to other people, to get love and get attention, they called that a please-me driver, which is a little misleading because it turns it around. But in any case, a couple of times you've talked about fawning. And I'm wondering if that's the same thing. And and so anyway, I'd love to hear what you... And how is that a function of what? Depression or... There's some connection I'm not making about that. Well, my my take for that one would be that when one goes into sympathetic dominance, one of the mm-hmm. things that happens is in order to uh, enhance the possibilities of survival, blood flow is shunted away from all of the higher functions of the human form, all of the mm-hmm. unnecessary functions. And it right. literally closes down the blood flow to the frontal lobes of the brain. Like you don't mm-hmm. need to you don't need the faculty of solving a calculus problem if a lion's chasing you uh over the fence. Right. right. So that is shut down. And when when it comes to the human realm, we've been filled with these power person dynamics, these power person messages that are quote unquote lovingly passed from generation to generation. The messages usually start out with, you're broken, and your survival Mm -hmm. depends on me. So remember part of the power person dynamic. Three things occur in order for a power person dynamic to be instilled in the mind. One, this person, usually a parent, though not always, has more power over you than you do. Two, Mm -hmm. this person who's got all the power is not functioning as a human being, is not functioning out of love. And three... Mm -hmm. The child, the object of that situation, is experience a situa- experiencing a situation as survival. So yeah. a self, a false self, Yeshua talked about in order for you to live, you've got to die. The self we're talking about living is the created human being called love. The, the self that we're talking about that has to die is the one that's based in trauma, hostility, and fear. Mm. And that If we're living out of that self, then when higher blood flow to the brain is cut off and the higher fat is not available, all that's left as an advisor is this non-being self that thinks that it's in a survival situation and the only way to survive is to please whoever it's standing in front of. Okay. And it doesn't matter whether this is... You know, if once this is installed, if it happens to a child at three, 
Then at 6, when that's activated, they're going to try to please at 10, at 20, Mm -hmm. at 30, at 50, at 90 years of age. If that's not resolved, there's still this, uh, in order to survive, I've got to please, I've got to fulfill the goal of the person in front of me. I'm not allowed to have a self that is independent of that. Mm-hmm. And so that would be my definition of fawning. In survival, when when that, you know, I'm rolling along, there's no stress, and I'm in the office, and everything's cool, and, you know, if the boss, you know, gets a little snarky, I can say, hey, you know, you just take care of yourself. I've got things, and I can do that. But if mm-hmm. I'm, I come to the level where, and this third level of, of behavior in the power person dynamic happens when one is ultra-stressed, if I go into the office ultra-stressed, because this morning, I had the morning off. I had a wonderful time. I'm buying a new house. I just bought a new car. I went to take care of some wonderful business, and I have 8,000 stressors in my mind. And I walk into the office, even though they're, even if they're wonderful stressors, if I'm in that ultra stress state, and the power person or the the uh, trigger for my power person dynamic, the boss, gives me a snarky look. All of a sudden, what do I have to do? I got to survive, and that's phony. Mm-hmm. What do you need, boss? Okay, I, I'll, I'll I'll give up everything that I have just to please you, and take care of you. Yeah, would be the phony mode, and it's just okay. the automatic decision kicking in with that unresolved power person dynamic. And if one realizes mm-hmm. they have a tendency toward it, what I see the Aramaic doing over and over and over again is pointing us in the direction of forgiving that dynamic within ourselves. So that no matter what happens in the world, full blood flow to the higher centers of the brain and everything to do with thriving and digestion and elimination and reproduction and and regeneration and healing, all of that is active continuously. That We never go into that compromised state where because we think something might eat us, although there's nothing in the office that's going to eat us, we act as though the lion in the jungles after us and withdraw all of the blood supply, all of the oxygen supply, all of the nutrient supply to all of those higher functions and sacrifice that for the ability to have strong muscles to either run or fight and mm-hmm. take in enough oxygen through breathing, which is another aspect of the, that uh, uh, sympathetic dominance mode to take enough oxygen to, to fire those muscles so that survival happens. Mm. And that's the moment where it's, I think, key importance to do the forgiveness process to engage in healing the power person dynamic. Yeah. I Does that, see that fit for your question for what you were thinking of? Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Michael. Very good. Awesome. Well, anything else on your mind at the moment? Only that I have two sisters in health crises, and I was wishing we could be Canadians and help my youngest sister die. Uh, She has never taken care of herself, so they call her deconditioned. She fell over in the grocery store, and they took her to the emergency room, and it's just that she doesn't do anything but lie in bed all day and watch television. 
and she eats very poorly and very little now, even though she spent her life overweight most of the time. She's lost a great deal of weight, and I just talked to her, and she she says, life is just too hard for me. I wish I could die. She, she can't eat, and I'm going to visit her and make her some chicken broth to see if she'll eat something. I'm not sure that's the best thing. I'm thinking maybe if she stopped eating, that's supposed to be a gentle way to go. I wish I could help her die. But I have quite a bit of fear around this. I haven't been afraid of my own death as much as I'm afraid of hers. And I'm not sure. That's a lot of work to be done on that. That's not something we can handle right now on the radio show. But I'd love to have, um, if you would keep her in mind, her name is Joe, Joanna. And uh, I've I've struggled with her. Yeah. How about Mind Shifter? Sure. How about a Mind Shifter? How about just a simple Mind Shifter? It's safe and healing. Right. I'm going to get... I'm still prepared for this. Okay. Safe and healing. <coughs> for Joe to die. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not a problem. <laughs> I, that's not... I, I think it's... Uh, anyway, yeah. I I think it it would be very good if she did. I think she's just run her course and she's feeling very guilty about needing help and needing everybody else's money and has for years lived with food stamps and rent assistance and uh, family helping her out. Um, She feels a great deal of guilt about all that. She's not in a good way. But it's safe and healing for her to die. That's not a good... I don't think that's a good mind shifter. Maybe. Yeah, go ahead. Well... Well, you did talk about trauma. You said you were okay if you did, but not her. So notice your mind shifted into a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said a moment ago was, well, it would be safe for me to die, but there's a lot of trauma around her dying was the basic message that I heard, unless I misunderstood. Oh, you're, no, you didn't understand. I, I did. I can see it all now. I'm... <coughs> I guess just getting her there is the hard part. So uh, how about in anyway. my presence? And mm-hmm. and perhaps one of the things that she needs is just permission. You know, oh, wow. Jeannie's dad struggled for some time until Jeannie gave him permission and literally within an hour and a half yeah. left his body very, very oh, wow. consciously. Oh, wow. That's something. Yeah. And well, so thanks. if there's any I, part of you that uh, that wants to hold on or has some fear or trepidation, perhaps if you process through that, you might be a more powerful space in giving her permission and being the energy platform to let go. You know, Michael, you're hovering right near it. I can. My sister and I have been, we took different paths early. I was the fourth kid. She right. was the fifth kid. And she remained in a victim mode. The earth, the world had to give her stuff or she'd be miserable. And that's been the story 
And I remember deciding early on that I didn't want to do that, and I better grab hold and get what I needed for myself because it was up to me. And I've had a great life, and she has had what she says is a she's very bright, very talented, but she has wasted it, and she feels terrible about that. And but she doesn't focus on that that much. Mostly she's in angry, blaming mode. But when she gets very real, that's where she goes. And I think I've been angry at her for my whole life for not choosing better for herself. So I have a mm. lot of work to do on that. No need to take the whole program on it. Worksheets coming up. Well, we'll hold the space for that to open for both of you. And yeah. for whatever's appropriate, you know, maybe she's been playing this game for a long time with you, and when you let go of it, she might just brighten up and go, oh, well, hey, I'm ready to do something different. And maybe she'll be ready to let go, but whatever it is, it will be done from love instead of from trauma for mm-hmm. both of you. Yeah. In my case. Sounds like your lungs are still doing some letting go. Man, this has been the slowest, you know, fatigue and coughing up. At least the stuff is moving out now. It was a hard Good. cough for a long time. But, yeah, it's taking a longer time than it might have. Lemon and cayenne pepper might help. I do that, Michael. You told me that Good. a year ago or something, and that's my morning introduced thing. Lemon, cayenne, and uh, a little clove, too, I heard was good. Yes, clove, excellent. And and a little bit of maple syrup to balance the tartness of the the lemon. Oh, that's nice. I've been off sugar, so I've not done that. Is it okay to do that if you're not eating sugar in general? Yeah, well... Sugar, you know, refined sugar is simply a pure white powder, nutrient-free poison. Maple syrup Mm -hmm. has nutrients in it. There are the nutritional components so that it doesn't Mm -hmm. go in as pure sugar and overload the cell. Kind of like with the car, you know, if you put pure gasoline in a car, an automobile engine, the engine will burn up. It will stall out and quit. You have to have a mixture of air with the gasoline mm-hmm. so that the engine can use it properly. It's the same thing. The, the fuel for the cell is sugar, but it has to have the nutrients that go hand-in-hand with it. The poison is when you have just the pure, uh, the pure white powder. So maple mm-hmm. syrup is loaded with minerals and nutrients that give Ooh. the body the, the challenge of having to digest and take the sugar out in a time frame that makes it functional for use by the cell. Mm. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> All right, young lady. Well, are you on are you on your way home now, Michael? I am, yeah, I'm just about an hour from home. Oh, okay. Safe travel. I was down in Fayetteville I was down in Fayetteville, North Carolina for this workshop this weekend with this doctor. Right. You were telling about it. Very interesting. Yeah. It was a very interesting, very powerful weekend for me. It's been a long time since mm. I've sat somebody else's workshop. It was a nice reminder. I mean, I've done 
in my early career, I did dozens and dozens to put together everything yeah. I've put together over the years, dozens of different workshops like this. And it was nice to just sit back and be the student and uh, be fed by this uh, mm. giant intellect and uh, this fabulous body of work called uh, medical massage. Excellent. Welcome home. Hello, Jeannie. I'll well, get off my and let you carry on. All right. Be blessed. Up below. Thanks. Thank you. Any thoughts for you, Jeannie? No, it's all good. And no other hands are up, okay. so I'd go for it with the intro. All right. So the the Kaboris manuscript, K-H-A-B-U-R-I-S, or sometimes it's spelled B-O-U, uh, you'll see it. There have been a couple of different standards that we've gone with, but one we finally settled on back in the, probably the early 2000s was K-H-A-B-U-R-I-S Codex, uh, was uh, purchased back in the 60s by a former partner of mine, Dan McDougall. Dan was an attorney in Atlanta, Georgia, from a fairly well-to-do family, family of attorneys. And uh, he became interested in the prison system and wanted to find a solution and ended up coming to the Aramaic teachings of Yeshua as key. And he sent an expedition to the Middle East to find a manuscript like the Kaburas, and it is a copy of the set of 164 AD text that was copied according to the Emperor in the 10th century. The whole of what is considered to be the New Testament canon is included in it. And it was called the Kaburis because it was found in a, a, uh, a monastery in the Kaibor River in Turkey or Kurdistan. Uh, the monks at that particular monastery were known as a group that were called the historians. And it's interesting that um, Dan and Yonan, I understand it was the two of them, were there at this monastery, and the because of the dearth of understanding from the English perspective, the man who was the head of the monastery offered him the manuscript, and he made a donation or paid for it, and left with the manuscript, and best of our knowledge, it was about three days later that the government swept into that monastery, and as far as we know, all of the monks were killed, were murdered. And so, if there's a, uh, an article about it in the uh, Istanbul Gazette on June the 11th, 1966, and Fortunately, Dan was there and rescued that manuscript before government factions went in, as far as we know, obliterated the place. So it's uh, Syriac, Aramaic. They're different dialects of Aramaic, and I am not 
uh, an expert or a scholar in that arena at all or in the pronunciation of the Aramaic, but it was written on sheepskin. And the you can look at the manuscript if you go to whyagain.org forward slash Kaburis, and I think it's a spelling K-H-A-B-U-R-I-S. Maybe you can check that, G. But if you look, you'll see all 500, whatever, 526 pages. It's it's beautiful. I mean, when you look at it, when I traveled with it, I would be somewhere and I'd have the opportunity to present it to a group and I'd open the book and people would just gasp. They would feel the energy of it. And the, the consistency of the scribing of it, the thesis is that it was done by one scribe. And the, the cover on the book that you'll see was actually a replacement. We do not have the original cover. And as we move forward, we want to open up as much as we can of uh, what are all the energetic understandings that go beneath everything that is said when we can get close to the Aramaic meanings. And these are meanings that developed energetically over a long period of time coming out of, I've said before, the the Aramaic letters are shadows of, if you were to take a picture of the atomic structure of the elements, several of the elements, the 3D shadow that would be cast by that element would be the Aramaic letter. And there's, if you want to look into that a little more, there's a gentleman named Tan, I believe it's T-A-N-N-E-N, and he made that his study looking at the Aramaic language. If you do a search for that, I'm sure you'll come up with it. I don't have the, the uh, website offhand. But he was the one who came up with this idea that the Aramaic was actually grounded in the physics of the world. And the documentation in the manuscript says that it was authored or, or the original manuscript was about 100 years after Nero and after Christianity in about 65 AD. And there may be older manuscripts. There was, there was a, a, a thing in the, in the Middle East. First of all, if you were to have a manuscript, it was because your family had money. And if you had money and you were interested in scriptures, you would then hire a scribe and you'd have a copy made. And, of course, you know, humans are humans. Mistakes are made. But this particular manuscript is a copy of the Shitta. Now, there's a a story out there in the world by Greek scholars. Again, remember that if Yeshua were to sit in most circles today, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. The Greek scholars say, no, 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 no. The Shitta is a copy of the 
Greek original writing. Well, it's, they, they, I mean, you can have all kinds of scholarly arguments about that point, but here's where, for me, the rubber meets the road. When you go to the Aramaic, every passage makes sense. If you go to the Greek, there are so many passages, as we started out with uh, last week or two, there's so many passages, it just don't make any sense. The, the ideas are clearly, many of them clearly, simply foolish. And so where the, the Greek scholars, or so-called scholars, will tell you, oh, no, 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 it was all written down in Greek first, and then they came along and translated the, the, the shit of the that. I would offer, there's no sense arguing uh, over that. Just go look at the meanings and see the consistency of the sensibility of the Aramaic meanings and the inconsistency in the meaning of the Greek translations. And it's it's easy to see which one came first. It's so dramatically evident over and over and over and over again when you look at those examples, the first couple of days we did the study, we went through those ideas. So the whole manuscript is in Aramaic. And the script that was used was what's called a stranglio. And if you want to do some more research on that, that's the uh, script that the, the text was physically written in, and the, I, I had made a mistake, or I, I had a misunderstanding that I've shared on the show recently, in, in past times, that the Aramaic language was a parent language to the Hebrew, and according to some of the latest research that I've done in understanding, that was a mistaken idea. But the Aramaic was the language of the people. Hebrew was the language of the temple. And so what Yeshua was doing was taking the original ideas and expressing them in Aramaic to to the average person. It wasn't designed for the elites or the learned. It was designed to take the gut core work, the tools, the how-to. And this is, for me, this is mainly what's missing in the Greek, aside from a lot of nonsensical meanings. The, the how-to isn't there. You know, we're, we're told that when, when Yeshua was asked, what's most important in the law, he said, love your neighbor, love God as yourself. And, and that's just not even close to an accurate statement. In Aramaic, he was, his instruction was hevrachma, which meant keep the filter, the frontal lobes of your brain open, so that you love, your human life is present for your neighbor, for the creator. So not loving them, but functioning as love in their presence. And then he goes on to say that this is how you maintain your human life, not love your neighbor as yourself maintain your human life by doing this and then says for upon this hangs the law and all the prophets the understanding of this whole technology that was presented it is a technology that was presented by Yeshua 
2,000 years ago, hangs on that. If, if you don't have that, all your mind can do is, is show you what was replicated from your past. So you'll read the text, and you'll think you're reading the words on the page, but your mind will project into it all of the, the history, all of the resonance of past generations in regard to that particular idea. So when the word neighbor comes up, if, you know, there's the enemy over there and the enemy over there and the fight that happened here and the guy next door that hates you, and all of that comes into it, then you're going to try and love your neighbor going to try and be nice to him but what he he, he resonates in you is rage yesterday says no you've got to do the work to clean up that rage so that you can achieve this state of love because upon this hangs the whole understanding you've got to leave the mind of man behind remember that when he told peter he was acting as safe for you think in the mind of man and you've got to step into that other realm that's what everything hangs and so that's kind of a, a starting point for us to move to the next level. And I appreciate you being with us, and we'll look forward to the conversation continuing tomorrow. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye.